0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Yesterday, we had one of the easiest teams in the NBA to break down in the Sacramento Kings. And today, I believe we enter the realm of one of the tougher teams in the NBA to break down. We'll talk about that here in just a moment on Fantasy NBA Today. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am Dan Vespers, and this is is, as always, as it has always been and always shall be, a sports ethos presentation. The land formerly... Oh, I mucked it up. The land formerly known as Hoopball. I've been asked if I miss those days. The answer is, yeah, I miss the name Hoopball. But we're not just hoops anymore. Website's got a uh, NFL draft guide that's coming out in like the next... Week, week and a half, I think. Sort of a relaunch of the NFL division that had uh, a solid red shirt campaign last year. We've got a baseball division that's just trucking along here mid season. We have a fantasy hockey show hosted by the Blake, the great Blake Creamer. If you guys want to be a part of our hockey division, please do hit me up. So we can't be hoop ball anymore. We are the ethos. Sports are is our. Our ethos, it's hard to say. I should, probably should have rearranged the words there. Our ethos is sport. Sportball. Nuggets are the NBA champs. I think we kind of all saw that one coming after the uh, Game 2 wake-up call. And uh, I remembered yesterday I had a kind of a show-closing rant, I think it was. or was in the middle of the show about how... Absolutely, positively god-awful the dialogue has been around the NBA playoffs this year. It's... Uh, look, I'll call out names. I don't call out names very much. Um, it's Mannix. It's Chris Mannix. He's... he. I feel like he's auditioning for uh, the, the seat vacated recently by Shannon Sharp. And so maybe I need to dial back my rage because... When someone's telegraphing what they're doing this much, it's no longer just a bad take. It's a purposeful move to get everybody talking about you. And I don't know if you guys saw what happened, but Mannix came out and was just like, oh, I didn't say that Nikola Jokic wasn't bad. I just said that he didn't get tested in these playoffs. Dude, he very much got tested. The playoffs are, that's how testing works. I mean, because he didn't have to go through a super team. They said he didn't have to go through, I think, What Mannix said was like he didn't have to go through the Sixers or the Celtics. You know who did? The eight-seeded Heat. That's so dumb. That's so dumb. If the Heat beat the Celtics, and the Nuggets absolutely ransacked the Heat, what do you need to know? The Celtics weren't that good at the end of the day. The Bucks folded. They folded. The Sixers. Severely flawed basketball team. That's just so silly. It's so silly. This is the type of stuff you say when you want everybody talking about you when you want to be the discussion point on Twitter. So he's actually, to that end, He's he's nailed it. He nailed it. Ah, well. So, um... My apologies for my rant yesterday, because had I known that this was all a calculated maneuver, which, look, he can say it's not, but we know it is, um, then I wouldn't have wasted all of your time with it. So pay it no mind. It is purposeful bad take. That's what's happening there, to get people talking about it. Nuggets won the championship, yes. Uh, They crushed the heat but they kind of crushed everybody along the way. The team they struggled with was Phoenix because Devin Booker went lava hot for like the first 3 games of that series and uh or 4 games, Some, something insane. He was just he was just cruising at a, at an unguardable level and as soon as he came back down to earth, then the Nuggets went on and sma- and spanked him. And uh similar story for the Lakers. Um Lakers just couldn't get more than one guy going at any one time in that series and and that's how it works I uh and the Nuggets I thought played their best series against LA also because they got contributions and big ones from basically everybody in that series which is not something you saw in the other ones Nikola Jokic was after a massive massive first ball game he was a little bit I don't say held in check in that series but you know, he shot closer to 50% than 75 or whatever some of these other series were like. But then Jamal Murray was massive throughout the playoffs. And in that Western Conference Finals battle, they got really nice games from Aaron Gordon. They got really nice games from Michael Porter Jr. They got some stuff from KCP, which that didn't actually really hold through the finals. That was Jokic. And, you know, turning back to this thing... Remember how we talked about before the series, if you thought the Nuggets were going to win this thing, you go Jokic for MVP? Of course you go Jokic for MVP. Because that was at minus 300 when the Nuggets were at minus 400. And after the series went 1-1, you actually had an opportunity to get the Nuggets or Jokic for MVP at a slightly cheaper rate. So that all played out pretty much as expected. Um, And now we're done. Jokic is the MVP. He uh, probably said he didn't want didn't want to wait around for the parade, which is just so damn funny. Um, Bruce Brown was great for Denver, and now everybody hits the reset button. Will there be a finals hangover for the Nuggets? Probably. What about the Heat? Probably. It's just hard. It's hard for these guys to care as much about the regular season after they've gone through this type of grueling, every game matters so much playoff run, and then the regular season comes around, it's like, meh, 1 out of 82. That's a big reason why you see playoff hangover, because the games just don't feel like they matter. Does that mean that I would lower some of my Heat or Nuggets on the draft board? Yeah, actually, probably a little bit, although it's hard to lower Nikola Jokic, because he's been uh, kind of insane. But we're not talking the Denver Nuggets today, we're not talking about the Miami Heat. Today on Fantasy NBA Today, the team du jour is the Memphis Grizzlies. While we wait on the suspension shoe to drop for John Morant, because something's coming. It's coming, folks. Gird your loins. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be a bunch. The best thing you can do right now, if you're in a dynasty league, is try to get your hands on Tyus Jones, who is... I would say inarguably the best backup point guard in the NBA. And Memphis has this uh, really nice problem of being able to kind of hide him behind John Moran and only use him when they really badly need to. But also, Tyus Jones is in a contract year. So this John Moran stuff, whatever it ends up being, really does muck up what I think could have been Memphis getting a really nice haul for their backup point guard. And now they're going to need him, I think. We don't know exactly how this, this stuff is all going to play itself out, but the Grizzlies are pretty much loaded to the hilt with guys on, frankly, pretty damn manageable contracts. Like Steven Adams, his extension, it goes down. He has the inverted contract deal where his salary goes from $18 million this year, drops down to 12 and a half. Um million. JJJ's on a, a somewhat meaty extension, while his actually lowers in price as it goes as well. The big one that kicks in this coming season is John Morant's big extension. He goes from 12 mil to 34, basically. Luke Kennard is still making about $15 million a year. Um, and the one guy coming off the books who was making 11 was Dylan Brooks, who, you know, we saw all those silly-ass reports come out about how the Memphis Grizzlies, they want him no shape or form. Meh. Meh I say. Look, he might not be in Memphis After all of his shenanigans, someone will find a spot for him. That whole thing was just so silly. Uh, But the Grizzlies will just slot somebody else in. What I think makes Memphis such a, a complicated team to try to handicap is that they are very willing to just drop a young guy into a more pivotal spot and see how it goes. So let's start with the easiest things going on with the Grizzlies, and we'll walk our way kind of down the board to the harder stuff. The easiest thing going on with the Grizzlies is JJJ. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a bona fide monster. He came back early from his injury. I don't think anybody thought he was going to get into the low 60s in games played this year, but he He did very much so. Um, Three blocks per game was just a, a beyond outrageous number that he managed to hold for the entire damn season. Led the league in blocks per game by quite a lot. Half a block over Nick Claxton. Also had a steal. Four combined blocks and steals is a number that we just really haven't seen guys get near. That's, that's crazy, people. That's absolutely mother bleeping crazy. It was like normally, you look at Anthony Davis. He's sort of the gold standard for steals, blocks combined. People call them stocks. I find that to be, I don't know, a little bit silly defensive stats stocks not my thing ad was at 3.2 in what was by all accounts a pretty good defensive season for him brooke lopez three nick claxton 3.3 and jjj the leader in the clubhouse four literally 20 percent higher than anybody else in the nba in combined steals and blocks 20% higher than anyone else in the NBA. Think about how completely insane that is. That's crazy. I mean, legitimately insane. So if you're wondering how he ended up as a turn value, he was number 12 on a per-game basis. Uh, By totals, he was number 19 because everybody missed a crap-load of games in the NBA this year. Uh, so his rank didn't actually fall all that much by missing roughly a quarter of the season with that early season injury, and uh, then he was great the rest of the way. Also of note on JJJ, got his field goal percent up this year to 50 and a half. That's, uh, That's a really nice step for him, because we had seen him kind of falling in love with the outside shots, Shot 41.5% last season, 42% the year before that, 47 the year before that, and actually a carbon copy of 50.6 back in 2018, 2019, which I believe was his rookie year. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. But he didn't really shoot the three ball that season. He only took two and a half of them. This year, he took four and a half. His two-point field goal percent was a career-best 58 and a half this season. Free throw number actually dropped back down to 79. But at that point, you're nitpicking a little bit because everything else was so damn good. Also of note, played 28 and a half minutes per game, which some of that's by design. He still picks up personal fouls at a pretty high clip. They want to keep him healthy as the season goes, and it worked. But it does actually mean... That even if you think the blocks number kind of comes back down to earth a little bit, because even in his finest block moments, he was, you know, shooting more for about two in this many minutes per game. He had 2.3 last year, 1.6 in the kind of abridged season before that, 1.6, 1.4. That's as you're working backwards. So three was really kind of coming out of the blue even if that block number comes back down into the mid twos, there is a chance that he finally plays his way into 29, 30 minutes per ball game or more. And then the other stuff would kind of move with that. It did also help JJJ this year that Steven Adams missed the bulk of the season. And so his rebounding numbers were better. He was playing center most of the season. Not that that was the reason for all of his blocks as he was picking them up at a really huge clip even at the beginning of the year or when he came back and Steven Adams was still upright. But it certainly didn't hurt the rebounding cause. Defensive rebounding became a little bit more a part of his identity. So all of that said, JJJ, can he be number 12 again next year on a per-game basis? Uh, It's questionable. This really does kind of feel like the upper limit with the caveat that if John Morant gets booted for half a year or more in a suspension, we don't know what's about to come down, but I've got to think that it's at least 25 games or more. Some people said 40, some said 50, 41 would be half a season. I mean, we could be seeing a, a, a large number there. You might get half a year where JJJ has to take more than 13 shots per game. So maybe that's the way that he gets back to kind of where he was this season through scoring, Becomes a bigger part of his game. Threes, if field goal percent stays relatively high, that becomes a slightly larger positive for him. Steals and blocks, do they hang tough? Maybe blocks come down a little bit, but perhaps the other stuff evens it out. I think you probably see him get drafted in the mid-second round, which is not an insane place to take him. I just don't think I would push him as high as the turn, because this really did kind of feel like, to some degree, maxing out. Next on the board for the Memphis Grizzlies, Desmond Bain, who remains on an incredibly affordable contract. Bain making just $4 million this coming season before uh, he becomes a restricted free agent the year after that. That's that's when they'll have to pay him, and they will, because there were stretches this year where Desmond Bain was the Grizzlies' best player, and there were stretches during the playoffs where he was, frankly, more important to what the Grizzlies were doing then John Moran. I look at it more from kind of the Lakers' standpoint. That was the series where the Grizzlies had to play a, a serious opponent, and the Lakers just told Ja to beat him from the outside. And there was a game where he did. He went, ner- he went nuclear in a game. But for the most part, Desmond Bain is the multi-level guy on that Grizzlies team. He can score around the rim, he can score in the mid-range, he can shoot the three ball. Led the team in threes this year at about three per ball game. Shot 48% from the field. Averaged half points, five boards, four and a half assists, a steal. Terrific foul shooter at 88%. One of the better foul shooters in the NBA. Just so much to like about Desmond Bain's fantasy game. And then he promptly got hurt and missed a quarter of the season. That was the only thing that held Bain back this year. Des was number 36 on a per-game basis. At 31 and a half minutes per game, there is no real reason to think he can't replicate that. And again, if a John Morant news break comes here in the next day or two, which Adam Silver basically teased that he was going to wait until after the finals, let let these two teams duke it out, let us all kind of forget about the John Morant stuff for a little bit, and then the news would come, well, it's coming. And if Bain has to take more than 16 shots per game, well, all of that is just gravy. Field goal percent for him is not bad enough where additional usage wouldn't almost exclusively be a positive. Put the ball in his hands more often, you'll see free throw attempts go up, field goal attempts go up, assists will go up, threes go up, points goes up. The only thing that maybe doesn't is field goal percent. Perhaps that comes back down a little bit if he's not kind of working with a a class A running mate in John Morant. But, like, again, even if field goal percent comes down a little bit, His free throw is more important than his field goal percent. It's a bigger positive than his field goal was a negative. And then everything else is basically just you sort of pour on icing. You're just splashing icing all over that cake. Sports Ethos was very high on Desmond Bain this year, and he was well on his way to being a big hit before the injury. And so, you know, when you handicap him, I think a lot of analysts were. So I will both... Credit giveth and credit taketh away, because ultimately he did miss 24 games, and and you have to put that into the mix. But what it also did is it might open up Bain for another possible win, meaning this was going to be the year, second year in a row, actually, where he was going to truck his ADP, and then he got hurt, and so maybe that window gets Cracked open for one more draft season. Although, again, we'll see. If John Moran gets suspended for half a season, you're going to see all of these guys, in particular, Tyus Jones and Desmond Bain, you'll see their ADPs kind of bump up the board. A little bit for Des, and then a lot of it for Tyus Jones. John Moran was actually the third name on the board for the Grizzlies, but there's a pretty good sized drop off there. And we'll tell you all about it after I remind you guys that we are now five days away from Father's Day. And I hope you haven't missed your chance to collect some Manscaped goodies for the father figure or simply the hairy person in your life. Maybe it doesn't have to be Father's Day anymore. Maybe it can be a birthday gift or just a I can't stand to see how much hair you have on you gift. Manscaped.com. The promo code is ethos20. Check out the performance package, the lawnmower, the, the hedger, the beard hedger, which is this fantastic new product that I've been telling you guys about. Or the luxury nail kit if you just want to go small, you know? If you don't want to break the bank. If you don't want to get somebody the best damn trimmer or hedger that they will ever have in their life. If you just want to get them the best nail kit they'll have in their life. That, that bad boy was only 20 bucks last time I logged onto the site. And you can get that for $4 off with free shipping. Thanks to the code ethos20. I think HoopBall20 as a code might actually still work over there as well. But uh, Ethos20, HoopBall20, whatever you want to do, go to Manscaped.com, check out their good stuff, and get some grooming goodies for the hairy person in your life. All right, so John Morant, what the hell's going on there? We might not have to worry about it, but even if we do, in nine category leagues, I want nothing to do with this. He's a multi-punt play. Which, when you look at what you're punting there, he's a points league darling. He's one of the best points league players in the NBA, in fact. Because his scoring is outstanding at 26.2 points per game. Rebounds are good at 6 from a guard. Assists are good at 8. Steals over 1 per game. And then nothing else really matters. Yeah, the blocks are low, but whatever. He's a point guard anyway. And the threes are not that high, but again... Sorta of who gives a crap when you get twenty six, six and eight. He's not Luka, but from a points league standpoint, he's terrific. But super high volume, forty six and a half percent from the field, medium size negative. Very high volume, seventy five percent at the free throw line, medium to large size negative, and three and a half turnovers per game, pretty good size negative there as well. Yes, obviously, he's more valuable in 8-cat than 9-cat, and significantly more valuable in points leagues than he is in any category format. And because of that, if you're playing in basically any category format, he's going to be getting overdrafted. If you're in points league format, he's probably going to get drafted really high, and that's probably about where he belongs. This vague, very high. But think about it. And I know some of you are like, well, what about 8-cat, Dan? Yeah, even in 8-cat, he's going to get overdrafted because you kind of need to be, not necessarily punting, but as early as he likely goes in 8-category leagues, you probably need to be semi-giving up on one of your percentages. Probably free throw. You could still win field goal percent with Ja on your team. No question about that. He's not a full field goal punt. He's not even a full free throw punt, but it does hurt an awful lot. But still, you're probably not drafting him in 8-cat if you're trying to be competitive in the 2-percentages categories just based on where he ends up going. He just keeps getting drafted in the 20s and 30s, even in 9-category leagues, and he has just almost no shot of getting there over the course of an entire season unless he magically starts hitting 2.5 or 3 3-pointers per game and fixes one or both of his percentages. It's a long way. 90s to 30s is a very large jump if you're punting free throw percent and maybe threes then there's and again he's not a negative in three pointers but you generally expect more from one of your early high scoring guard draft picks then maybe that makes sense but I just I can't really make an argument for drafting him in a nine category format it makes no sense because he ain't going to fall anywhere near where he should be unless he's suspended for half a season. And then you do whatever the hell you want to do. That's going to be a little bit messy, but, you know, I I would I get it. There's a different argument there as to, oh, you know, I get this in-season bump, and if you're in a keeper league, then maybe that makes sense if he's going super late. But again, like, in a nine-cat league, even if he gets suspended for 30-game, 25-40-game, whatever the hell it happens to be. Uh, even if he gets drafted, like, at 100, that's still a hard sell for me. Because, again, he was only number 93 per game and missed 21 games. There's no saying that even if he gets suspended for half a season that he plays in the other 41. This is a guy who plays himself into all kinds of injuries. Meantime, the guy that's going to... Uh, potentially be your I have no I and this by the way this is this is all going in quotes here this is the I have no idea where he's going to get drafted based on John Morant news but if it's anywhere besides pretty relatively solidly high he probably ends up as some kind of value and that's Tyus Jones who played in 80 games this year but of course the vast majority of those were behind John Morant we know from many, many seasons of this whole jaw gets hurt, Tyus Jones gets to do more, song and dance that happens in Memphis, that when Tyus Jones is the starter, he's really fun to have on your fantasy team. And if you need any more reminders of that, the game log tells you all you need to know. You can very quickly figure out which games Ja Morant was not playing for Memphis by looking and seeing... Oh, when did Tyus Jones play 30 minutes? Because it's almost a one-to-one situation. Were the eight games that Ja got suspended? Or there was like time served or something like that? What was that? It was like mid-March from the first gun incident. I think that was mid-March to like towards the end of the month. Let's say March 5th to about March 20th, I think, was roughly where we were at with that. So let's do this. We're just going to do a date range game here. We're going to go March 5th. While I'm talking to you guys, I have no idea what we're about to find out here, but hopefully it's something interesting. March 5th to March 20th. How did the Memphis Grizzlies do? John Morant did not play, by the way. JJJ was number 38 over that stretch because he averaged only two blocks per game instead of three. By the way, that's the difference between averaging two blocks per game and three blocks per game, number 38 versus number 12. Almost everything else was uh, basically the same for him. In fact, the scoring was relatively high. He took 15 and a half shots per game in those games uh, without John Morant. Desmond Bain, by the way, played in those games, and he averaged 25 and 5, but his free throw number was down at 79, and his steals were at .7, and so he was actually outside the top 120 over that stretch, but sort of a small sample size theater. You know who uh, was really, really good? Tyus freaking Jones, 16 points, two three-pointers, four boards, eight assists, 1.3 steals, 51% from the field, and 79% at the free-throw line. Is that sustainable for an entire season, the 51% shooting? No. But you know what? I don't care. His career number's at 43.5. He'd been trending up towards more like 45 He's been 45-46 two of the previous three seasons. He was at 44 this year. I don't need him to be at 50%. He's an 80-some-odd, low-80s, free-throw guy. And when he's the primary ball handler, not just hanging around behind John Morant, he is very much an eight-assists-per-game kind of dude. He is very much someone who can give you 15 or 16 and eight with over a steal per ball game. His per 36 on steals is more like one and a half. He's been he's been good at that for a long time. So the only thing that you're looking at here that probably wasn't sustainable was the 51% shooting. 16 and 8. Steals could almost even be a little bit higher. Maybe not. Fluctuates. Two three-pointers, that's doable. 79% of the free throw line could actually be a tiny bit higher as well. So you're looking at Tyus Jones where, you know, again, I don't know how long this this thread goes, but just keep pulling it. He's a guy that could give you one month, two months, three months of top. He was number 44 during this stretch, but, you know, 16 and eight, a couple of threes and one and a half steals. That is a top 50 level fantasy performer. If you extrapolate that for an entire season. I don't even know who in the NBA has that type of number. Let's see. We'll start by assists. Anybody have around sixteen and eight for a season that was decent at percentages? Because the answer there is Russell Westbrook. Uh, Drew Holiday was at nineteen and seven and a half. That's not that far off. Freddie Van Fleet was at nineteen and seven. Drew Holiday was number 39. Van Vliet was number 19. Obviously, they're separated by other stuff. Van Vliet hit more three-pointers. Bitter steals numbers. Drew was better from the field. Um, they, unfortunately, there just weren't really other guys in the NBA that averaged 16-8. and 8. Chris Paul's not that far off. He was at 14-9 and 9 with a steal and a half at 44% shooting. You might just get Chris Paul, old, aged Chris Paul numbers from Tyus Jones this year cool that's top 40 we don't know how long it's going to last but I, I mean i don't care about the format if you can give me 40 games of top 40 i am spending a pretty good draft pick on that not like you know first 5 6 rounds obviously not you want guys that are going to give you you're hunting top 50 for an entire season there but once you get into that range you know some folks are drafting taking shots like It's probably like around pick 90, 100, whatever. If you can go squeeze a half a season of top 40 out of someone in that range, very much worth it, regardless of format. Build yourself a lead in head-to-head leagues. Pile it all into the bucket in your Roto League. It makes sense regardless. So Tyus Jones could be very interesting this year. Center spot, probably not all that interesting. Steven Adams, Brandon Clark, those guys... Uh, well, Brandon Clark is out. I think he's out for until the middle of the season. So whatever, but I, Stephen Adams should probably be back to start next year, which means that you're not going to get any Xavier Tillman fill in games. Are you going to get Luke Kennard games? Well, if John Moran, again, there's this other thing now where if jaw is out for half a season and Dylan Brooks isn't back, that opens up a bunch of stuff. Tyus Jones takes one of those slots. And again, assuming Steven Adams is back and that pushes JJJ down to the power forward spot every day, which is where he was some of the time, a lot of the time uh, during this season. You've got Bain, you've got Tyus Jones, you've got JJJ, you've got Steven Adams. You don't really know who your starting small forward is. Is it Conchar? Is it Kennard? Is it Zaire Williams? Is it David Roddy? It could be any of those guys, and it could be a blend of them, but the guy that we saw that had the closest thing to fantasy value towards the end of the year was actually, believe it or not, Luke Kennard. Now, unfortunately, he doesn't do all that much besides shoot. So even in the good scenarios, he had trouble getting inside the top 100. But if you look at his, his time with Memphis, basically post-All-Star break, Luke Kennard was number 106. In 25 minutes per game, 12 points, three boards, two and a half assists, not many defensive stats, but three three three-pointers on 53% from the field and very low volume, 93% at the free throw line. If somehow, and he'll have to figure out how to guard people a little bit better, but if somehow Luke Kennard gets wedged into more than 25 minutes per game without Ja, and his shots go from seven and a half to, say, nine or ten then he is very much inside the top 100. But again, that's an end-of-draft kind of thing because now you're getting someone that might be able to wiggle their way to like 80 range in a perfect universe for a a month or two of the season. That's not not something you break the bank for. That's something you snatch up towards the end of a draft and just say, you know what, I know I'm going to move on from this at some point, but I'm going to fill the coffers with whatever he does well for as long as he will do it. And now we wait. And that's really the story on the Grizzlies. And now we wait. Because all of this stuff flips on its head. Depending on, or doesn't flip on its head, I guess. Depending on what goes down in the jaw aftermath. There was uh, (laughs) a... Adam Silver was on with, I think, Dan Patrick the other day. I, I flipped through my morning national radios as I'm dropping uh, children off at various schools. And uh, Dan Patrick and all of his people there have this this huge beef with how many guys get away with carrying the basketball in the NBA, which I think is actually a little bit of kind of the old man yelling at clouds thing. But we all have our thing. Some people hate the traveling that gets junked. Some people hate the, uh, the charge. Some people hate the carry. Some people hate the step-back three. Some people hate the rip-through. Everybody's got their thing, and that's fine. It's not a big deal. But I don't know if you saw the clip of uh, him saying that he wanted to have – he wanted the NBA to deal with carrying, and uh, Adam Silver made – Kind of an offhanded remark, like, you know, that could mean a couple of things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What do the Memphis Grizzlies become without Ja if he is removed for a long stretch of the season? I actually think that they overperform. But, of course, we'll do our week of season win total breakdowns. That's in August when those numbers come out and when we're still kind of in a little bit of the NBA dog days. We'll take a break. That break is until tomorrow. Congratulations to the Denver Nuggets, your 2022-2023 NBA champs. They were uh, one of the best teams during the regular season, and they were far and away the best team in the playoffs, and they really didn't get pushed. That's how good Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray are. If anybody needed to remember what the Nuggets did during the bubble when Jokic and Murray were both healthy, this was it. I mean, they were an Anthony Davis, like, game winner. Wasn't that game three or four or five? Was that game five? I don't remember which one. AD hit that step back. Justin's it wasn't a three. I think it was a long two in the bubble. Got the Lakers a game winner, then they went on and uh, had a, a better shooting game and kind of pushed their way into the finals at that point. I mean, without that, the Nuggets may have been the bubble champs. That, that team was Jokic, Jamal Murray, and Jeremy Grant was the guy they had playing off of those dudes. This time around, they basically replaced Jeremy Grant with uh, Aaron Gordon, who was not as good from three-point land as Grant was, but more powerful on the interior, and then also added a healthy Michael Porter Jr. and KCP, who's actually shown himself to be a pretty damn good postseason player, and he's now a two-time champ. So, of course, that Nuggets team was really good in the playoffs this year. If they had KCP, and, well, Lakers had him in that one, but if they had KCP or a healthy Michael Porter Jr., they probably are two-time champs. As a Lakers fan, I say thank you for not having those guys at full tilt at that point, but did Michael Porter Jr. even play in the bubble playoffs? I feel like he was out for all of them. Or was he, like, dinged up? I think he was out. Ah, it's a long time ago now. I try not to think about think about much from that year other than all of my L.A. franchises winning titles and in a year when we couldn't celebrate them. <laughs> anyway, Nuggets deserved it. I don't care what the hell some of these hot takers are saying on wherever they can get their hot takes out. They beat the crap out of everyone, and everyone else needs to just get better now. Because the Nuggets are not that old either. They're going to have to place replace Bruce Brown... But Jokic, Murray, MPJ, those guys are all locked in there. They didn't have to go that deep either. Christian Brown was basically the only other guy. Jeff Green got a little bit of time. Congrats once again. NBA is over, over, over. Draft coming up in eight days, though. Nine days? Nine days. I lost track of what day it was. We'll do some draft coverage probably late this week, maybe early next week. Try to do three or four shows on that where... uh, We play the game. Can my friends at Sports Ethos convince me to care about rookies? Which they did last year. I cared about Mark Williams. And then he ended up having a really nice post-All-Star break run. So you never know what old man Bespris might get talked into. But that won't be for a couple more days yet. Enjoy your Tuesday, everyone. So long, NBA season. I will talk to you all tomorrow, though. We don't take a break here on this show. Toodaloo!